be there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. And then Luke chapter 10, and verse 2. Jesus again speaking, the Bible says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your goodness and this opportunity to preach your word. I do pray most of all you would be honored and glorified in this. Lord, prepare our hearts and minds that we would be receptive for what you have for us this evening. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for standing with me. You may be seated. As we look at this, and I ask that question, and I'll ask it a few times as we go through this, will you answer the call to the harvest? But we're going to kind of look at some things, what's involved, and actually what's, what's required to answer that call. And we'll see some of what that harvest actually is and what it means to answer this call. But I believe we see in these two verses that we just read is, Jesus himself indicates there's at least at least a twofold danger to this harvest. The first we see there in John 4 verse 35 and that is at the or that of us being short-sighted of us thinking that there's plenty of time to go out. And the other is found very clearly there in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2 as he says that the harvest is great, the laborers are few. Question comes to mind then that how are we going to meet this great need, or how are we going to meet this challenge as the Lord has presented it to us? If you, would, if you haven't already, go back to John chapter 4 and verse 35. I believe we see, we, we see the question come from these verses, but we also see the answer to that question in these verses. So John chapter 4, the first thing we see, again, verse 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. If we're going to answer this call into the harvest, we must first lift up our eyes. We lift up our eyes then first from our vain pursuits. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and uh, verses 2 through 4 says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It goes on, What profit hath the man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. We know that uh, those verses there, they don't paint a very pretty picture. One, we, uh, we don't like to dwell on it. It's a humbling thought, but you know, the world doesn't revolve around any one of us. But then also, even more so there, as he speaks of the, the vanity of vanities, or that is, uh, maybe the emptiness of emptiness, and he asks the, the rhetorical question, what profit is there to all your labors? Really what he's asking, what point is there to life? And it's a very sad outlook, and the way he's speaking here, he's saying there is no point to life. It's empty. There's, there's no, nothing to gain from life in this world. And the, we know, though, that that outlook is a life lived in pursuit of what the world has to offer. On the other hand, a life lived for the Lord is a very fulfilling and very rewarding life. Nobody is truly... Nobody that has truly given their life to the Lord has ever at the end of it said, vanity of vanities, all was vanity. Uh, my life was pointless. That's not, that's not, you hear the exact opposite of that, really. Uh, but uh, anyone who has tr- lived their life for the world, that is their story. I, I have heard testimonies, and I, I don't have any specific ones to share with you, but you can look up what some of the wealthiest people who have lived on earth at the end of their life, so the stories they say, that it, it was pointless. They're, they're, I gained nothing. 
That is the, 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 the consistency of that. And we find that truth in Scripture here. So we lift up our eyes from our vain pursuits. So in that, then we lift up our eyes from the vain pursuit of personal ambition. That self-seeking, that self-gratification, or we might say that me-first mentality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 says, For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. As a child of God, your number one priority in life should be that of glorifying Him. As if you're here tonight and you have called on Christ as Savior, there is a time, a point in your life where you came to the, to the realization that you were a condemned sinner standing before a holy and almighty God. And there's nothing you could do to save yourself, but whether through uh, the witness of somebody or the reading of scriptures or in a track, whatever it might have been, you through these things came through the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You called on him to save you. He saved you. We praise his name for that and the security we have in that. But then the, the apostle writes here in 1 Corinthians, those of you that have, know these things, you have called on Christ to save you. You know what he went through for you. Knowing the price that he paid for you, he says, therefore, glorify God. As I said, as a child of God, your number one priority in this life should be that of glorifying Him. That is what we've been recreated to and for. And we'll see later on how it is that we can best glorify Him in the world around us. But we, we need to lift up our eyes then from that personal ambition, that, that me first, to Lord, how can I glorify You today? And another thing we see is we lift up our eyes from our vain pursuits. If, if you look around the world and you study different cultures, you'll see that there are uh, different sins, we might say, that have a stronger hold over different people groups. You know, not every people group in the world struggles with the exact same things, but uh, this one that we're going to kind of zero, zero in here, a vain pursuit of wealth, is pretty much a universal thing. It's seen in just about, if not every nation on earth. Proverbs 23 and verse 4 says, "...labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom." The proverb doesn't say labor not, period. We, we know we are to labor, we are to work, but the reason or the cause for our laboring should not be just that we would gain riches unto ourselves. He says, if that's your line of thinking, if that's what you're doing, cease from your own wisdom. And you know, in Proverbs, in the Scriptures, whenever he says your own wisdom or worldly wisdom, he, it's not true wisdom. And true wisdom is either called true wisdom or godly wisdom. And so really what he says here is, uh, if you're laboring just to gain riches unto yourself, to put money in your bank account, cease from your foolish thinking. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and, and verse 10, the author still speaking of the vanities of a life lived for the world, narrows in kind of on this thought here as he says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Be careful not to let wealth or the things that the world has placed value in to become our focus. As we look at that verse in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, he kind of mentions two things there. First, that, that silver, we can picture that, if you will, as the financial side of wealth. It's silver, it's gold, it's money in your bank account. And he says, if that's your love, if that's your pursuit, there's no satisfaction to be found. I'm sure you've heard that preached before. We're not going to dig deep into that. That's not the point of this. But we also see as uh, we may try to excuse ourselves in that, though. We can say, you know, money's not my love. It's not my pursuit. It's not uh, for me. I, I, I go to work, yes, and I go to work so that I can get money. But it's just 
so I can do uh, the other things that I need and or want to do. He goes on even deeper in this thought and he says, Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. That abundance then speaks of all the many things or any specific thing that the world has placed value in. And uh, essentially said that the world has said that these are the things by which we measure success. If you gain these things, then you'll be happy, you'll be successful in life. He says this is also vanity. As I said, we need to be careful not to let these things become our focus and knowing they won't satisfy us, and the only way for anybody to have true satisfaction in this life is through a life of service to the Lord. So we see that we need to lift up our eyes from our vain pursuits. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 27, just a couple chapters over from our main text, He says, Labor not for that meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. We lift up our eyes from our vain pursuits, but also we need to lift up our eyes from the cares of this life. Luke chapter 21 and verse 34, we, we see this truth. The cares of this life, as we look at it, it's a very different idea of our, our vain pursuits. The vain pursuits, uh, in many cases, they're sin. They, 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 they should have no place in our lives. They become idols. They've taken place over God in our lives. And if we're not careful, the cares of this life can do the same thing. But uh, they, they, the cares of this life, simply put, they are cares you have in this life. They're, they're the responsibilities that we have in life. And some of those even God-given responsibilities. But Luke chapter 21 and verse 34, the Bible says, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. You know, every one of us have responsibilities. We all have cares of this life. And as I said, even some of those God-given, I think of especially the, the care the provision of family. And uh, the Bible says, He that provided not for His own, especially those of His own household, is worse than an infidel. And God expects us to provide for our families, but... We also need to be careful not to allow these, these things, the cares of this life, to become an excuse to not answer God's call in our lives. And it's very easy in many cases for us to do that. But, and and I, be careful in this. And I'm not saying that if God's called you to go somewhere, if God's called you to do something specific, that you just neglect everything else. Uh, that's not what the Scripture teaches. That's not what He's called us to do. But simply, and this, yeah, and the care, the, our vain pursuits, you toss those away. You get rid of them. But the cares of this life, simply just, we need to place them, as we know, back into God's hands. Allow Him to provide in those ways, knowing He could provide better than we ever could, and just simply follow Him. We won't turn there, but in Matthew chapter 8 and in Luke 9, there's an account given where Jesus is ministering to the people he's, and uh, he, he's preaching. And at this point, we might say he's giving an altar call, if you will. He's come to a, a, a time where he's put forth to those that are there a point or a time of decision to be made. Here at this day, you are going to decide, are you going to follow me or are you going back to the world? And so as he stands there, he's calling for laborers, he's calling for uh, disciples, fishers of men, laborers in the harvest as we look at it tonight. As he calls for them to come, there are some that come to him and they say, Lord, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll be one of your disciples, but 
suffer me first to this, or suffer me first to that. The things they mentioned were not sinful ambitions. They, they, uh, they didn't say, it wasn't even, Lord, I'm going to follow you, but let me, let me get my family established first, and then. That wasn't what they just, they had cares that they felt they had a responsibility towards. And they said, Lord, you know, I hear your call, but also I have to take care of this. We never are given an account in Scripture where any of those ever actually followed him. In fact, Jesus even said on that that wasn't the heart or the mindset of the disciple he was looking for, he was, that he was calling. As long as we have that mindset, though, we will never truly surrender to him. You might say, you might say, Lord, I know you've called me, and one day I'll go, but I have this care. But you, there will always be a care of this life that you can use. So as soon as that one's gone, done away with, you can no longer claim it. You said, Lord, I remember I said I'd go as soon as this one was done, but you know, now you've brought this into my life, and I'm sure you want me to focus on it. And we, There will always be these things we can claim as an excuse. We lift up our eyes and from these cares of this life, these uh, easily uh, can become excuses to what God is truly calling our attention to. So lift up our eyes and from the temporal to the eternal. Very familiar verse, probably many in here could quote it, but Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 is to set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. A similar verse or similar message in the verse 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18 says, uh, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, but the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. I heard this saying my whole childhood, at least as far back as I can remember, and um, is live with eternity's value in view. Live with eternity's value in view, or rather make your focus be on that which has value not here on earth, not in the temporal, but for eternity. This kind of brings us then to our second point back in John 4 and verse 35. As we continue in there, he says, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. We must first lift up our eyes, and we then need to be careful to bring in this second point here, this focus. Otherwise, all you'll really do is you may lift up your eyes, and uh, you might look around, and maybe you find some other distraction, and likely your eyes or your attention quickly be drawn back to what had it before. And so we bring in our focus here as the Lord directs our attention, as we lift up our eyes from the, the temporal, the, the here and now, the, whether it be a vain pursuit or a care of this life. And you know, I don't believe the devil really cares what keeps you from answering God's call as long as you don't go. He doesn't care if you're, you're caught up in some deep sin or if you're just using some excuse as long as you don't go. And so we lift up our eyes and from these things, from the temporal to which God is truly calling our attention to here, as he says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. And as we do that, we see that the harvest is great. As we read in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. They say there are over 7.8 billion, maybe even 8 billion now, uh, people in the world today. And I'm going to give you some numbers briefly here that kind of show us how much work there's still to be done in the world around us, but... Uh, they say in 1950, the year 1950, there were a minimum 100,000 missionaries being sent out of the United States to other, na- to other nations as missionaries. 
Since 1950, they say we have lost 1,000 of that 100,000 every year, and only 50 missionaries take 1,000's place. In 2010, that 100,000 was down to, they say, approximately 29,000 missionaries sent out of the United States, and that's various denominations. That's not even just independent Baptists. Of independent Baptists, in 2010, they said, uh, from what I was able to find, about 5,000 missionary families serving on foreign fields. I think that truth then shows to us the, the, the truth of scriptures. We we know without those numbers that it is true, but the harvest is still great and laborers are still few. I, I praise the Lord, and I've heard numbers where many other nations are now sending out missionaries to others, and and that's great. But that does not negate our responsibility here. So as we look at it, we see as he draws our attention to the harvest, we lift up our eyes, we see that that harvest is great. We see also laborers are few. And we see that time is short. As he says at the start of verse 35 there, Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. And he says at the end of the verse, For they are white already to harvest. They are white already to harvest. There would never be a more appropriate or important time than now to be a part of of this harvest, to, to go, to, to be a part in world missions, to be, to be a laborer in his fields. As, uh, we were even uh, speaking a little earlier, you know, the task is not going to grow easier over time. In fact, from here on, likely, it will only become worse. It will only become harder as the hearts of men wax worse and worse, and the condition of this world become much more desperate. We cannot afford to sit around now and say, well, let's wait and see if Things open up later, and and then we'll go. He says, now. The fields are white now, all ready to harvest. Number three, quickly, if you would turn me back to Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. There's kind of two aspects to this that I want to draw out, but number three, I challenge you to pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. And we only see one of these truths that, that I'm going to, pull out here in Luke chapter 10. The other is scriptural. You find it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, but, uh, but as I challenge you to pray for laborers, two aspects of this. One, pray for those that are laboring. And we see that truth in, uh, or that challenge given in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. As the apostle starts off that chapter, as he, to those he's writing, he says, Brethren, pray for us. So as a church, I challenge you to pray for those that are laboring. As a church, you should pray for your pastor as he labors to to minister to you. Pray for the other men and women who labor and minister in your church. Pray for those that you have partnered with as missionaries to go out around the world. Pray for those that have gone. Pray for those that have answered the call to go. Pray for those that are laboring. And in that, uh, we won't turn there, but 2 Thessalonians 3, if you read the first three verses in that chapter, the apostle kind of gives you an outline even what to pray for. So as I challenge you to pray for laborers, pray for them for the furtherance of the gospel. Or as he says there in that, verse, in those pas- that passage, pray for the free course. Pray for freedom to preach the message that God has given them to preach. And following that, then pray for souls to be saved. As, or as he says, that his word will be glorified in them as it is in you. 
His word is glorified in you as you receive it, the truth that it is, and you, you call on Christ to save you. His word is glorified in you. Pray that his word would be glorified in them. Pray that they would receive that truth and souls would be saved. And also pray for safety from evil, or as he says, those that are without the faith. You know, there are many in the world, uh, we could say even the majority of the world is without the faith. But there are many still even beyond that that are not simply just without the faith, but they have sold themselves out against the faith. And their, their purpose in life, they have, as they have sold themselves out to it, they, they seek to be a hindrance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for safety against those. But then in Luke 10, 2 is... And the challenge we see specifically here, pray for more laborers. Pray for more laborers. I heard another, I don't remember, a missionary or preacher, pastor, somebody, preaching on this passage, and he shared, uh, I've heard it a couple times now, but he shared, they've shared that uh, in Luke chapter 10 here in verse 2, as a church, you share your prayer requests with one another. If somebody's, sick, or, or if there's a lost loved one, or whatever it is, whatever you want to see God's hand move over, you ask for others to pray for, or even if you just want to see somebody be comforted, you, you ask prayer requests for these things, and you ask that God would move in, that His hand would shelter, or protect, or bring somebody to His saving knowledge, what, whatever it might be, you, you share that prayer request with one another. But in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2 here, we have been given a prayer request from our Savior. As He tells you, for, He points out the problem. He says, hey, the harvest is truly great. Greater than you can really imagine. And labors are few. Because of that, then, pray the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. Pray for more laborers. Pray that more would be willing to answer this call to go. But then if you see there, following that next verse, and kind of segue into our, our last point this evening, but as we're challenged to pray for laborers there, and I believe this is a, a prayer that, that is something you should be faithful and diligent to pray. It's not just, hey, it's missions conference, we're going to pray for laborers. But throughout the rest of your life, you should be praying for laborers. Pray for more to, to answer this call and to go. But then following that, as the Lord tells His disciples here to pray for laborers, pray that the Lord of the hearts would send forth laborers. He then says, verse 3, Go your ways, behold, I send you. So yes, we are to pray for laborers. We are to pray for others to go still. But just as much, He says, you are the answer to this request. So number four... I challenge you, I exhort you, and I implore you, enter the harvest. And I want to clarify here, as I've asked the question a couple times already, but will you answer the call to the harvest? Now, I'm not asking you, are you called to the harvest? I think Brother Nez did a great job of presenting that last night. Every one of us are called into this harvest. There's, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we'll see that truth again. Uh, uh, we know we, every one of us are called into this. So I'm not asking, are you called? But will you answer this call? Will you answer His call into the harvest? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, I, and I didn't get there. there. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power 
After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In two aspects, and I'm sure you've heard preaching, nothing here is going to be new, but a good reminder in any account. But we see two commands really given here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. One, as he says, ye shall be witnesses, that, that ye is... Uh, we know that the Great Commission, that this command is given to the church. This is a, a church uh, command to go, but also that ye is singular, personal. Each and every one of you, as a child of God, are to be a witness unto Him. Each and every one of us have this obligation that wherever we are physically, at any given moment, you are to be a witness unto Him. Whether you be at home, you are to be a witness to Him. Whether you are on vacation... You are to be a witness unto Him. Whether uh, I be on deputation, traveling around the United States, I am to be a witness unto Him. Whether I be in Papua New Guinea, I am to be a witness unto Him. Wherever we are physically, we are to be a witness unto Him. And so being this witness needs to become a priority in our lives and not just a matter of convenience. Hudson Taylor, who was a pioneer missionary to China, once told a story of a friendly young Chinese man who went by the name of Peter. And they were traveling together on a, a native junk. It's a flat-bottom sailing vessel with a small cabin on board. And as they're traveling from Shanghai to Ningpo, where Hudson Taylor is planning on passing out tracts and uh, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, he, he goes into this uh, small cabin to just kind of prepare himself mentally for the task ahead as they're nearing the port. And so as he, he's in there for a little while. He then hears a splash and a cry. Uh, as if somebody had gone overboard. And so he's assuming there's some emergency at hand. He rushes back out to see if he could be of any assistance. And so as he comes back out, he, he, he sees the men working on the boat, and they're just going about business as usual. And so he begins looking around, but he doesn't see his friend Peter anywhere. And so he asks the men working on the boat if they know what happened, and they seemingly un, completely unconcerned just say, oh yeah, yeah he went down over there. And so he rushes over to the spot and calling out for his friend. There's no response. He looks. He, he doesn't see him anywhere. But he does then see some fishermen a little ways off fishing in a smaller boat with a dragnet. And so he calls for them to come. And uh, as he's calling for them to come and to drag the spot that uh, the others told him about, he shouts very specifically that a man is drowning. And their response to him is via bien, meaning it is not convenient. Hudson Taylor shouts back to him, Don't talk of convenience. Quickly come or it will be too late. He said, We are busy fishing. He says, Never mind your fishing. Come only at once. I will pay you well. And bear in mind, this is some time ago, so it would be worth a lot more then than it is now. But they said, Well, how much will you give us? How much will you pay us? And they said, Five dollars. Only don't stand talking. Come without delay. And they, so that's too little. We will not come for less than $30. Hudson Taylor went on to tell me he didn't have $30, but he gave him everything that he had on hand, which was about $14, and they decided they would do it for the 14 And so they come over, and on the, on the first passing of that, the first passing, they didn't even have to try very hard, the first passing of the dragnet, they bring up the man's missing body. They bring up, They find Peter's body, but... All of Mr. Taylor's efforts to try to bring these men over and then seeking to revive his friend were for naught as 
Too much time had been lost. All because those who might have easily saved the man's life simply put were indifferent. They didn't care. Mr. Taylor shared this story to a large audience of Christians who were shocked by the selfishness and the indifference of these heathen fishermen. He had another point to make as he went on to say then, is the body then of so much more value than the soul? Says We condemn those heathen fishermen. We say they are guilty of the man's death because they could easily have saved him and did not do it. But what of the millions whom we leave to perish in that eternally? Or what of the plain command, go ye to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? This story should challenge us that convenience is not the word to be used when it comes to being the witness that Christ has called us to be. If all we plan to do is when it was convenient, basically meaning when we really have nothing else going on, you're never really going to do it. We could easily find ourselves in that situation saying, as the fishermen did, we're too busy. You know, we, we've got something else going on right now, but next time we'll be sure to go. They say whatever, that which matters to you, you make time for. It's been suggested that what we really mean when we say we're too busy, not just in this area, but in every area of our lives, when we say we're too busy, it means one of two things. One, you don't see that need. You don't see the importance of it. Or two, you don't care about that need. As a child of God, as I said, you, there's a time in your life where you recognized your need you, we, we cannot claim, number one, and say, well, we didn't see the need. We didn't know it was there. We, we recognized our need, and in that we know what the need of everyone who's not yet called on Christ as Savior is. So we can't say we didn't see the need. So truly, and sad, but sadly, if we are not faithful to be this witness that He has called us to be, then our testimony would be that we didn't care. Or at the very least, we didn't care enough. I'm sure we went around the room. I, I would pray that basically we wouldn't have any Jonas here. He didn't care. He went because basically God gave him no other choice but to go. And he shared the message, but he, he didn't care. I would pray that wouldn't be any of our hearts. That if, we, if we were asked about any group of people, yes, we want to see the gospel presented to them. But are we living a life that shows that we care? Because we are the faithful witness that he has called us to be. The other thing we see in, in Acts 1.8, as first we see that, that personal responsibility, wherever you are physically, you are to be that witness. But also, he goes on then, ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. We know that both means now at the same time. He didn't say, ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the earth. But right now, at this moment, every one of us has a responsibility to be a part of making sure the gospel goes all around the world. So we know in this then that being the witness personally, which you are to do, does not negate your responsibility to the rest of the world. As the apostle said, I am debtors to all men. Every one of us that have received Christ as Savior, we are debtors to all men. To every, to every nationality, to every creed. So being that witness doesn't negate our responsibility to give, and giving does not negate our responsibility to witness. 
But right now, at the same time, we are all to be a part of making sure the gospel goes around the world. Romans chapter 10 and verse 15, another familiar verse. He says, and how shall they preach except they be sent? The Bible goes on to say, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Uh, Every one of us, as humans, we, we love to share good news. When something good happens in your life, you want to tell, especially your loved ones, those that you love. And as a believer, we are to love souls as, Christ, as God loves souls. And so we should want to share this news. But when you get good news, you want to share it, right? And so we should have the, we know also then, as he says, how beautiful are the feet of them, preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. There are no better tidings in this world than that could possibly be brought, sent, or shared than the tidings of the Savior of the world. He who was born of a virgin who then lived that perfectly holy and sinless life and then died on the cross of Calvary for the sins of man, but rose again the third day according to Scriptures, all of that so that man might be redeemed to God. There's no better message that you can share to that. There's no better tidings worth sharing. Every one of us should be willing to say then, Hear mine, send me. We should all be willing to pray Isaiah's prayer. Here am I, send me. I believe God is still asking the same question he asked there in Isaiah 6 and verse 8. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? The question is then, what is your response to that question? You hear God, or you, you hear that verse read, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Is your response going to be, here am I, and send me? Or are you only willing to say, Lord, I'm praying for laborers? Yes, pray for laborers. I don't want to lessen that at all. Pray for laborers. Pray for more to go. But are you willing to say, here am I, let me be one that can go? And, and I, I, this, a lot of the picture, it has been even kind of more of a full-time service. Maybe even going to a foreign field. But that's not the whole picture of this. And that's not what I really want you to get from it. Yes, if God's called you to go somewhere else, you should be willing to go. But if He hasn't called you to go to a foreign nation, He has called you to go next door. He has, so at the very least, every one of us should be willing to say, Lord, here am I and send me to my neighbors or to my co-workers or the friends that I have that have not yet called on Christ as Savior. Lord, let me be a laborer in your harvest. As I said earlier, that one of the enemies of this harvest is short-sightedness. In fact, that Jesus said, lift up your eyes, shows us how easy it is for us to become distracted by the temporal things of this life. Every one of us may be guilty at one point in our lives or another, I know I have been, of being so absorbed in our own personal circumstances, what's going on in our lives, that we fail to see the harvest as Jesus saw it. We might need to ask ourselves then, Lord, where... Where is my focus? Am I being short-sighted or have I lifted up my eyes to really see the harvest? Or do I share Christ's burden for a lost and dying world? I would challenge you today to start living for eternity rather than tomorrow. And to make God's values your values. And you know, God values nothing more in this world than the souls of men and women. 
As I said, as a child of God, your number one priority is to glorify Him. This is the number one way in which we glorify Him. It is by being the witness He has called us to be. It is by lifting up Christ before all men. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. I'll share this story with you and we're done. But as a young, successful American businessman, he actually is a member in my sending church many years ago now. Um, and he sat in a missions conference and the missionaries pleading with those at the church to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. And I believe there is even a challenge given that maybe God would speak to somebody in that service that they would be willing to go to the great and needy fields of the world. And so he, he gives the, the challenge and the invitation is given and this young man goes forward to the altar and uh, he, I've spoken with him, he gives a testimony, he began praying that the Lord would speak to somebody in that service to go. And as you may often find, and it could be the scary part of praying for laborers, if you truly begin to pray that, God may talk to you to go. But as he began praying, that prayer began praying that the Lord would call somebody, or speak to somebody in that service. He was, found himself unable to continue praying as the question came to his heart, what about you? I, and I, as I said, I spoke with this man and he told me from a, even a young age, he grew up in church, but um, not ministry family, but he grew up going to church and in a Christian home and He'd looked at missionaries and maybe to a certain extent idolized them higher than what our place should be. But he just admired them for their willingness to go and, and the work that they would do for God. And he, part of him had a heart to be able to do that, to do what they did. or had a desire to that, but also never felt that he himself was actually qualified to it, which is the truth for all of us. We're not qualified. But because of that, and only thinking of that, and not really considering what God can do, never truly surrendered to that call. Never truly said, Lord, if you want me, I'll go wherever you might send me. And so again, just kind of with that thought in mind, he began praying again, Lord, speak to somebody in the service that they might go to the great and needy fields of the world. And he, he told me how uh, he used to look around their auditorium and in his mind point others out to God and say, you know, Lord, he'd be great serving on that field. Or, you know, that, that couple would be great in this ministry capacity. But never really surrendering to whatever, wherever, whenever himself. And so as he began to pray this prayer a second time, Again, he found himself unable to continue praying as the, that question hung heavy in his heart and mind, what about you? And so he finally concluded that he would never be able to pray that prayer again until he answered that call himself. And as I said, that is a prayer that we should be faithful to pray. And so he told the Lord, if you, if you want me, I'll go wherever you send me at any cost. He ultimately ended up selling his business and he and his wife became missionaries to Africa. And this man who, and as I said, we know it, it, it's not of him, it's not of any of us. We're not able to do this work outside of the, the, 
grace and the mercy and the power of God. But this man who, who knew he was not able, but went, surrendered to God, he and his wife then went on to start 37 churches. And sometimes I think people are afraid to pray, here am I and send me, because they're afraid that God might exact too much from them. Or they'll be called upon to sacrifice more than they're willing to give. We bear in mind all that Christ gave and did for us. What are you willing to give back for Him? I think sometimes, again, people are afraid to pray, Here am I, send me, because what if God actually decided to send them? If you ask a man in, in that story, if he had any regrets, he'll tell you the greatest work in the world is the harvest of God's fields. So as we close, I, I would ask you, what about you? Will you answer this call to the harvest? Not are you called, we know we are called. Every one of us are called. So will you answer his call? Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for, again, just for your goodness to us. Lord, and that you would be faithful to, to call us and then to enable us to go and to do what you've called us to do. Lord, we thank you most of all for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. Lord, and that we would be faithful to bear that in mind and knowing all that he gave for us, that we would be faithful in what you have called for us to do, to be faithful in being the witness that you've called us to be, to be faithful in praying for laborers, for those that are laboring and for more to answer this call. And that just as much, we would be faithful to, to have the heart that, Lord, if you would have us to go anywhere, or that, that our prayer would be, Lord, whatever, whenever, wherever. Lord, if you want us to, to stay home and be a faithful witness where you would have us, then let us be faithful in that. But if you would have us to go, let us have the heart for souls to go. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's all stand together. If God has spoken to your heart, you have an opportunity to respond to him. It's a good question to ask yourself, to ask the Lord, am I engaged where I'm supposed to be? And am I willing to be wherever you want me to be? So as the song is played and sung, you respond to the Lord if he's spoken to you. Yeah.